my stories. Written by my dad. It's my dad too. <laughs> The Curse of Purgatory Cove, Chapter 1, Canine Caper. Tuesday had a Monday feel. Even with summer three weeks away, I wanted to pack my things and vanish. I knew it was coming too, that stupid letter. And I already worked out my escape plan, sort of. What I hadn't figured on was meeting a crazy old pirate who had the one thing I needed. I grabbed my house keys and faded socks cap, pulling it down over my eyes as I headed toward Purgatory Cove. It was early. I stopped my bike near a pile of newspapers at an old factory building. I rolled them up, then rode back and forth across the narrow street. There was no traffic, just a truck full of dead fish at the harbor inn. The tide was up, filling the stone parking lots. I wanted to turn around when the road began to rise, but then there was one more delivery at the dead end. I pedaled slowly up the hill toward a fenced-in yard with a shack and a beaten-up barn in the middle of it. There was no grass, just gravel, and nautical garbage thrown everywhere like a junkyard for ancient boats, complete with a cranky old dog. The junkyard's owner didn't tip. He paid in coins counted out precisely, placed in an envelope he stuck in his fence. I'd rather he didn't pay at all. The guy kept to himself some sort of criminal or dangerous psycho, according to what I hear in town. Some mornings I could see him out near the barn, or out by the broken boats walking around, but I never got a good look at him, only his bushy white hair blowing like a cotton ball in the wind. He knew how to use the phone, though. I'd only had this job a few weeks when he called to complain to my boss. Apparently, he wasn't getting his paper. That wasn't my fault, though. I had the paper in hand, ready to let it fly from a safe distance. But I stopped across the street, shaking my head. There was a small white envelope in the fence. I would have to go over and get it. What could be in there? A dollar? Maybe two? Probably less. I could pay it out of my own pocket, I thought, as I sighed and climbed off my bike. I crossed the street, holding the paper like a club. I knew he was there. I could feel him watching me. The old man's dog had a tail that never wagged. Not that I'd seen anyway. Then again, I was usually running away from him. My eyes went over the yard, wondering where he'd come from. There were sailboats and motorboats near the back. There was even an old tugboat towering above everything. I was a foot from the envelope, my eyes searching for the dog when something caught my attention. Half buried beneath a pile of pallets was a small sailboat. Yeah, I know, that's like finding sand at the beach, but this boat was special. The paint was faded gray, but I could still read the name stenciled on the back. Caroline. I reached out and touched the fence. This was my dad's old boat. I stood with my mouth open, wondering how it had ended up here. That's when the dog attacked. He sprung out of nowhere, ramming his skull into the chain links. The fence rattled as his head shoved me back. His teeth were bared, yelping and barking. I fell over, clutching the envelope in my slobber-covered hand. The dog pushed his body into the fence, shoving it out, trying to reach me as I scurried across the street. I'm not going to lie, part of my retreat was on my hands and knees. I think that's the definition of scurrying. When I got to the bike, the dog howled a moment longer. Then he settled down onto his belly, growling a little, looking content and happy that yet again he'd managed to get me. I used to like dogs, I shouted at him. He bared his teeth and growled a little. I gotta deliver this paper, it's my job! I held up the paper, explaining. It was pointless, though, because he was a dog, and also a jerk. He stood up as I came closer. I'd squeezed the paper so hard it looked unreadable. I was trying to look through the fence toward the boat, but it was too far back and I'd come too close. The dog started gnashing his teeth and barking again. Fine, fine, you win, I said, tossing the paper over the fence. The dog grabbed it out of the air. 
For a moment, I thought he was going to bring it to his owner. I should have known better. He started chewing and tearing, ripping it to shreds, sending pieces in the air like confetti. I really hate you. I was sure my boss would be getting another phone call. Chapter 2. Boarding Schools and Boats The worst part was the day wasn't done with me yet. I hung out with my grandmother after school and didn't go home till dinner time. My mom looked up from the kitchen table as I came through the door. Guess what came in the mail today? She asked. Legal papers from her office covered the table, not dinner. A million dollars, I said. Actually, I was expecting a message from my boss saying not to bother coming back. Close, but no. You got a letter from the Beecher Academy. They want to interview you, she said. Great, I responded. We discussed this, Tom. It's the school your grandfather and your uncle went to. Senator's kids go there. My grandfather had brought it up months back at breakfast. I remember him saying how good the super-exclusive Connecticut boarding school would be for me. That school with all the rich kids, I asked. She gathered her papers into a large envelope. I could tell she didn't care for the rich kids' comment. She set the envelope down on the edge of the table, tapping it. This school is very hard to get into. The fact that they're interested in you says a lot. You should feel honored. I was fairly certain they were more interested in having another Summerlee on their roster. Even if that wasn't my last name, I was still part of the Summerlee family. And as my father used to tell me, being in an old family was like being part of an exclusive club. But mom, it's a boarding school. Doesn't that mean I'd have to live there? Well, yes, but you'd come home on weekends and holidays. It's not that bad, she answered as she turned back to her work. Not that bad. Was she kidding? I felt a ringing in my ears. I just want you to get the best education possible, she said, seeing the look on my face. But what if I don't want it? You're not ready to decide what you want, at least not in the long run, and not for your future. A place like this will open doors that you can't even imagine. But I don't want to hear it, she said, slapping the table. You have an interview next Wednesday. You're going to it, and you're going to do your best. Is that understood? It was pointless to argue. I'll do my best, I mumbled. Good, she said, like that was it. Period. I walked back to my room, feeling punched in the stomach. I closed my door, careful not to let it slam. I went to my dresser and picked up a picture, looking at it as I sat down on the edge of my bed. The picture was of my dad and me, down at the park a little over two years ago. We were both smiling. My mom was there, too. She was the one that took it. I couldn't remember if she'd been smiling or not. My father had been gone for a year now. Mom acted like he was dead, but he wasn't. He was just gone. They used to fight all the time, then one day the fighting stopped. He wrote me to say he was sorry. Someday he hoped I'd understand. The letter said he was in Key West trying to start a charter fishing business. It had always been a dream of his. My father had a lot of dreams. This was the first time he'd tried to make one happen. I think I understood that well enough to not be mad at him. Instead, I just felt lonely. After he was gone, my mom was angry for a month straight. She'd cry at night and yell for no reason. When that was done, she started clearing out everything connected to him. His clothes, his tools, eventually even the house went. The worst, though, was when she got rid of his boat. She donated it like everything else. I used to play on it in the yard, pretending it was a pirate ship. I'd only been sailing on it once, and we'd barely made it across the cove. My dad wasn't an experienced sailor, so it took him a lot of bailing to figure out that the vessel wasn't actually seaworthy. I remember being down at the boat launch, pulling it out of the cove and onto its trailer. It had a half foot of water in it. We were wet and tired, but happy. Maybe when you're older and I have more time, we can fix her up right, he had said. When? I asked, impatient to spend another day trying to sail. He ran his hand through my hair. 
I don't know, but we'll find the time. Right now she's not safe. We don't want to add another wreck to these waters. I was standing on the trailer, looking out at the cove, watching the sun drop behind the trees, making the water sparkle. There's a shipwreck out there? I asked. Plenty out in the bay, he pointed to the mouth of the cove. In fact, the Freedom's Fortune is said to lay off the point. He smiled, leaned in, and lowered his voice. It was a pirate ship. He left the words hanging in the air like the promise of magic. Have you ever heard the story, he asked. I shook my head. The captain came here to retire after pillaging the high seas. Dad threw a stone out into the cove, making an explosive sound as the rocks splashed. That was a cannonball, by the way, he said, winking. He continued. See, the captain had fallen in love and married a local merchant's daughter. Of course, before leaving the life, he hid his treasure on an island that only he knew the way to. His old crew found out about it. They came in the night and kidnapped him. As they sailed away, a freak storm rushed into the bay. It dragged the Freedom's Fortune across Spindle Rock. Captain and crew went to the bottom. So the treasure is still out there, I asked. My father nodded. He finished securing our little boat and stepped out of the water. They say the captain's bride still wanders the shore looking for her lost husband. A cold breeze blew off the cove, causing both of us to shiver. He laughed and patted me on the shoulder. Come on, he said, as we climbed into his truck to drive home. I set the pitcher down, remembering his laugh. Then I reached under my mattress and pulled out a book. It was one of the few things I'd managed to hold on to. It was a simple guide, maybe a hundred pages long, but it described another one of my father's dreams, a trip he wanted to take. I thought about the boarding school as I opened the cover, looking at the eastern seaboard, seeing a journey charted out on it. That couldn't happen without a boat, though. My dad's was held hostage by that hermit. I wondered how long he'd been sitting out there, right under my nose. Actually, I guess it was under the dog's nose. There were others I could buy, but I wanted his back. I went to the window, slid it open, and climbed out. The day hadn't been great, but now it was going to take a turn for the weird. Chapter 3. Circling Sword Outside, I picked up my bike and looked at the sun getting low in the sky. I really shouldn't do this, I thought, heading back toward town. It wouldn't take me long to get to his yard, and maybe by then the dog would be away for the night. I was only hoping for a look at the boat, or possibly a run-in with the old man to ask him about it. Why not approach a guy who's made it incredibly clear he wants to be left alone? I was about to turn and head toward the water when I saw something on Main Street heading south. It was a head full of white cottony hair blowing in the breeze. The old man was out riding his own bike, heading in a hurry out of town. For some reason, I decided to follow him. He was dashing down the sidewalk around groups of people strolling on Main Street. He went out into the road when it dropped down a big hill. I watched him cut across traffic, taking a left turn, heading out onto Month Passet, a strip of land that jutted out into the bay. It was a peninsula covered by a state park, a few private homes, and a couple of horse farms. There was only one main road going out to it. It was lined by stone walls and tall trees casting long shadows. It was easily three miles to the point. And while I wondered why the old man was heading there, I was even more concerned with why I was following him. Mom would eventually come looking for me. She'd knock on my door, and when she found my room empty, let's just say it's not going to go well for me. Somehow, that scared me more than following the old hermit. I was still being careful, though, trying to use the curves of the road to hide, letting him stay ahead and out of view. That's how I lost him. When I passed the entrance to the park, he was gone. The road was empty. I heard a sound, small stones pinging in spokes, and bike tires bumping over gravel. A narrow, dark path cut down into the woods across the street. I could hear him ahead as I climbed off my bike and followed. The forest blacked out the setting sun. But there was a light ahead. 
I carefully approached, coming to the end of the path, where the ground dropped away by a small cliff overlooking a rocky beach. The sun was disappearing into the west, and the Atlantic was getting dark. Waves rushed in, breaking and diving beneath the rocks. He was below, making his way from stone to stone, carrying a leather bundle. He got around pretty good for someone so old. Coming to a wide flat rock with a tidal pool in the center, he bent down and cleared some of the scum away. He laid his bundle down, unrolling it, revealing something dark and metal. It was a knife, or maybe a small sword. It looked ancient and tarnished. There was a pattern on it, strange swirls dancing in and out of more swirls. Old man, weird knife, and I'm watching there all by myself. My mom said I was smart, if she could see me now. A few rocks crunched out from under my foot and went tumbling down the hill. I looked at the old man to see if he'd heard, but he wasn't facing me, so I couldn't tell. I took a few breaths and tried not to panic. There was something strange in the air, an electric feeling. The sun was creeping slowly down, almost touching the land. The ocean and the sky reflected it with strange colors. The old man took the sword and placed it in the tidal pool. I expected it to disappear beneath the scum, but it didn't. It floated on the surface. I could see the old man's lips moving. A few of the words reached me. Some foreign language, all hard consonants. I didn't understand them, but they echoed in my head, charging the air around me. I held my breath, watching. In the title, something started to happen, slowly at first, and speeding up. The sword was spinning. It blurred like the blades of a fan. Then as suddenly as it began, it stopped. It was completely rigid, pointing out towards the ocean. The pool of water was clear and vibrating with energy. It was beyond strange. I wished I wasn't alone so I could ask someone else if they were seeing it too. The sun was touching the earth as the old man's lips stopped moving. Hurrying, he pulled out a compass, one of those clear plastic ones from his pocket. He held it over the sword, squinting at it, trying to line them up. He took out a pad and scrawled something down. The compass and the pad disappeared back into his pocket. He reached into the pool trying to lift the sword, but it held to the water. Finally, he yanked it free and fell backward. Bloody specters. He cursed. I'd been in a daze till then, but his voice shook me out of it. The old man wrapped the sword back in its leather bundle. He'd be coming up the beach soon. Panic struck me as I realized I needed to get out of there. I turned and hurried away, back up the dark trail. I climbed on my bike. The sunlight was fading, making everything look unreal. I had no idea what I'd seen, but I knew it wasn't normal, and I was worried. This guy had a magic sword, and I couldn't get his paper to him because of that stupid dog. I think it was a setup. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I'd love to read the whole novel, mainly so I could try out my pirate voice, but that would take the rest of the year and part of next year too, and I've got a whole bunch of ill-advised stories coming your way. We're halfway to St. Patrick's Day, which means I'm halfway into my season, and I've got so much more. There's a Christmas dragon, a monster-filled bus, a detective story, a space dog, oh, and another pirate at the end. She's a girl pirate. I'll have to get someone else to do that voice. If you'd like to know what happened next to Tom and the old man, well, you don't have to wait. The Curse of Purgatory Cove is available for purchase right now. I'll give you a few hints. There are ghosts in a magical island. And I did a lot of research to write the novel, so some of the pirates you'll meet were actually real people. You can find it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble's. The music for this story was created by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening.